All righty. Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Good. All right. Fantastic. Me too. Uh, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 4. Uh, and as you do, my name is Patrick, and I'm one of the elders here uh, at Harvest Point. And today, as Jeremy had said, we, we're beginning a new series uh, entitled, Why Christmas? And in this series, our, our desire is to unpack the reason behind Christmas and answer questions like, why do we celebrate? What did, what did Christmas accomplish? And I can't think of a more fitting place to start than looking at the love of God as it pertains to Christmas and as it pertains to each of us. For Christmas wouldn't even exist if it weren't for the love of God. So if you would, go ahead and look with me at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, where the Apostle John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Well, the Apostle John uh, is beginning here with an exaltation for Christians to love one another. And we know that he's speaking to Christians here as he says, Beloved, let us love one another. So this isn't just a random, unspecific call for all people everywhere to love everyone, but for those within the body of Christ to love one another. And what we want to do today is dive into the whys and the hows, starting with Christians are called to love. So after John encourages the believers to love one another, he tells us why. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Meaning, love does not exist without God gifting it to us. Love is from God, who is the source of all love. So both for the non-believer and the believer, any capacity that any of us has to love anyone or anything comes from God. Love is part of God's common grace to all of his image bearers in that we have even the ability to love. Love is from God. But the loving of one another that comes within the body of Christ is not like that which is found in the world. It's only here that we can find people of all different types of backgrounds demonstrating God-honoring love towards each other, bearing each other's burdens, serving each other in love, praying for one another, and truly loving each other with a humble sacrificial Christ-exalting love. Those 
born of God will be a loving people that will demonstrate this love in various forms to their brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, it's not an optional love. If then John is telling us in verse 7 that Christians are called to love, he follows that by saying in verse 8 that to not love is to not know Christ. Verse 8 says that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And let's, let's not sugarcoat this. I mean, these are, these are strong words here. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Why does he say that? Because God is love. In his very essence, in who God is, he is love. So for someone to call themselves a Christian, but to not love his brother or sister in Christ, demonstrates one of two things. One, they're a weak brother or sister who has much to learn about what it means to follow Christ, what it means to love. And if we're honest, I mean, we all have a little bit of learning to do here. Or two, this person may not be a brother or sister in Christ. You know, they may not be a believer. See, merely tolerating people here at church is not the same as loving. Our saying here is not love God and tolerate people. It's love God and love people. And, and I get it. You know, people as a whole are difficult to love. I mean, just ask my wife. I can be difficult to love at times. I mean, I'd, I know that's very hard for you to believe, but it's true. Now, you did not have to agree so much, Sharon. So yeah, some of us are more difficult to love than others, but we're called to love one another. And where we find ourselves saying, you know, I just can't. I can't, I can't do that. We need to ask why. If we're in Christ, if we've received God the Holy Spirit, this love has been imparted to us. But that brings us to our third point, which is that in Christ, God has made his love known to us. So as we enter into this season of Advent, this is what we're celebrating. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is the greatest gift we could ever receive. God revealing his love to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 9 saying that, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Look at this verse with me. In this, the love of God was made known to us that God sent his son into the world. This, this single act of God was such an amazing outpouring of his love towards us. I, I worry that sometimes... We take this for granted. And we do. We look for other things to provide affirmation that God loves us. Our success, our happiness, our, our comforts, our good health, how we're feeling at any given moment. I mean, these are not representations of God's love towards us. It sounds foreign to our church culture, but our prosperity isn't a sign of God's love. Because then, what of the billionaire who doesn't know Christ? Or, or what of the individual living in severe poverty who has 
more faith than anyone that we've ever known. Material blessings are not what we look to for affirmation of God's love. Such teaching is nothing but false teaching. Which causes us to ask, well then, how is God's love affirmed or made known? And the answer is in the text. The incarnation of Christ. God sending his son into this broken world to save us. And our ability to come to know these truths, to believe them, that is love. If you are in Christ, he has made this truth known to you. He has manifested his love within you by giving you the spirit. That is God's love for you. And when we receive God's saving love, we then live through him. The word live here implies that we were in a state of spiritual death. We were dead in our sins without hope. And God demonstrated this love for us that we might live through Christ. What was once dead has now been made alive. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. A true faith in Christ restores us from a state of spiritual death and gives us life. A life that we're not only to live through him while here on this earth, but one that we will live eternally with him in heaven. This, this is the love that God has made known to us. 1 John 4.10 then tells us that in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What makes God's love even more amazing is that he has loved us when we were unlovable. Dead people don't love. In and of ourselves, we could not love God. God's grace the unmerited, unearned favor to which he gives us is an outpouring of his love towards us. Not because we've loved him or done anything to earn this salvation. No, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we're saved. All that we bring to the table is our sin. Romans chapter 5 Verses 6 through 8 says that for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here we now see the ultimate purpose of God sending his son we, we celebrate the incarnation at Christmas. We celebrate God sending his son, the, the baby born in Bethlehem. But we celebrate because God's purpose in sending his son was to atone for our sins. We celebrate Christ's birth because of his death and his resurrection and what it repre represents to those who have faith. God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
The word propitiation meaning to satisfy God's wrath. Yes, God is love. But God is also holy. And God is just. And God hates sin. And it was Christ's death on the cross that satisfied God's wrath towards sin. So when, we place, when you place your faith in Christ, when God's love is made known to you, that is what you've been saved from. All of us, every single one of us, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Left to ourselves, we could not love him. We would oppose him. It took his boundless, sacrificial love to break our hearts of stone and bring us to himself. The almighty, holy creator of the universe has loved us. And he loves us because he loves his son. And when we place our faith in Christ, we are united with Christ. And God's love is poured into us through the Holy Spirit. This, this church is love. That is the love that God has shown us. And that leads me to my final point today, which is, therefore, let us love one another. In verse 11, John reminds fellow Christians that if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Having, having just reminded them of the sacrificial love of God, he basically tells them now, go, go love each other. He that has been loved much ought also to demonstrate much love, right? If we're in Christ, there's no greater love that we could possibly experience than that which has been made known to us through Christ. None. Therefore, loving each other should come easy, right? Sure, Patrick. Yeah, that's the easiest. Absolutely. So how do we do that? What does that look like here within our church body? Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here in verses 1 through 7, the Apostle Paul is letting the Corinthian church know what this looks like. The church at Corinth was a church that, uh, I mean, they had a lot of issues. Love was not one of their strengths, so to say. Here we get the impression that they were more concerned with certain spiritual gifts and overlooking the call to love one another altogether. Paul says in verse 1 that if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, many have heard these verses out of context, like at a wedding. But I want you to notice that Paul's not speaking about love in the context of husband and wife. He's speaking to the church. Verses 
1 through 3 here reminds me of what John was trying to say to us in verse 8 of 1 John 4 where he says that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And it reminds me because we cannot boast about a particular spiritual gift or be puffed up in all this knowledge and understanding and yet not love those around us. We can't claim to have the strongest of faith posting one Christian meme after another on social media and yet not care about those sitting to our left and to our right. Paul then tells the Corinthians what loving one another looks like. Love is patient and kind. Love is not envious or prideful or rude. It does not insist on its own way. There's a big one. The last thing a church needs is a bunch of people insisting on their own way. Love is coming together and being unified in Christ. Unselfish. Making compromises where necessary for the betterment of each other. Love is not irritable or resentful. If you find yourself frequently irritable or resentful, maybe unforgiving or holding grudges, is that, is that love? If you're coming out of a situation of church hurt and you're resentful towards other brothers and sisters, is that what we're called to do as the body of Christ? The fact that we even have something called church hurt lets us know that we could be doing better with our call to love one another. When we love one another, we rejoice together in the truth of the scriptures. We bear each other's burdens. We hope together because Christ has given us hope. And we help each other endure to the end. Well, now as we close, what are some practical ways in which we can love one another as a church body? I mean, we can say that we're loving, but our, our actions are often the best way in which we can demonstrate this. Well, one way is by serving in the church. There are folks that are back there in kids' ministry right now that are demonstrating love towards you at this very moment as they're caring for your children. As they spend the time helping to teach biblical truth to our kids here, sacrificing one week a month to do that instead of being here with us in worship. There are many people that are part of our setup and teardown teams that demonstrate the call to love one another as they work each week to create this environment that we get to worship in. Our worship team each week is using how God has gifted them to lead us in praise because they love God and they love his people. And there are countless others who are seeing needs in the church and filling these needs because they're recognizing that what we do here, it's not about them. Another way is to get plugged into a small group. Small groups is a great way to get closer to a people in the church. And this often ends up being the first group of people to step up and help when someone in their group is in need. From practical needs like helping to watch each other's kids or assisting them with a job around the house or spiritual needs like praying for each other or working through life as Christians in a world that no longer supports Christian beliefs. It's difficult to love someone that you barely know, right? 
So both serving in the church and small groups allow you to get to know your brothers and sisters in Christ better that you're called to love. Another way is prayer. Spend time praying for those within our church body. I mean, you may need, not even know somebody's name. You could have walked some, by somebody today, just look, they look like they had a lot on their mind, like, like they were having a rough day. Pray for them. Think about them later. Pray for them. Every single person here is going through struggles and issues, whether known about or unknown. Taking the time to appeal to a holy God on behalf of another is a demonstration of love. And lastly, another way is to send an encouraging message. I can't tell you how encouraging it is, and I know Jeremy can vouch for this as well, but to receive a, a random message throughout the week that just says, hey man, I'm praying for you. Or just checking up and saying, how are you doing? Is there anything that I can do for you? Or just saying, hey man, I, I saw you do this last week and I, and I appreciate you. I don't know that we do that enough, you know, as a church. But I absolutely feel loved by this church in those moments. And if you're here with us today for the first time and, and you're not a regular attender or member of a healthy local church, it doesn't have to be this one. But I would encourage you to get plugged in to a healthy local church. As, you're, as we read this text, you can see, hopefully, that we're not called to live the Christian life alone. To love one another, we actually have to place ourselves around others to love. Jesus provided an excellent example of loving one another towards his disciples in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Here, here we read of this scene where after eating with his disciples, Jesus gets up and begins to wash their feet for them. The Son of God washed the filthy, disgusting feet of these men that he loved and cared for. And we read in verse 12, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And later in verses 34 through 35, Jesus told them, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So as we go, let us be a people that remembers the amazing love of God. As we enter into this Christmas season, we celebrate the birth of Christ, the incarnation, God becoming flesh. But we do so because in so doing, God demonstrated his sacrificial love for us and atoned for our sins through the cross. And beloved, 
If God so loved us in such a way, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you now, not as somebody who practices this perfectly, Lord, but as somebody along with others, I imagine in this room, that, um, that need your help in this. Lord, you have called us to be a loving people. The love that you have shown us is, is amazing, Lord. It's, it's, it's unbelievable that you would look upon us and that you would care enough and you would send your Son to save us, to restore us to our right relationship with you, Lord. You knew that that's what we needed, Lord. What an amazing demonstration of your love, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to model that to others, Lord. Help us that to be an example uh, of those that are followers of you, that love you, Lord, and love people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.